0: Hello, Tokyo Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Nikkoro Hawkins. Coming up.
1: Though it was a shock to the village, we knew it would eventually get to Tokelau.
0: Communities are locked down in Tokelau after confirmation of their first COVID 19 case. Also,
2: we are currently in the recovery mode after Super Typhoon Mawar has hit Rhoda.
0: We check in on the recovery effort in the northern Mariana Islands after Typhoon Mawar. And later on,
3: To get all the support from the people is just it really shows how what our community is about,
0: right? We sat down with Ian Tongi, the first Pacifica singer to win American Idol. (music) Tokelau remains in lockdown following the announcement of its first COVID-19 community cases. Between May the 15th and the 26th, four community cases have been reported in Nukunonu. Lydia Lewis has the latest.
4: Tokelau is now officially the second-to-last country in the world to have experienced community transmission of COVID-19, with Turkmenistan still at zero cases. On top of the four community cases in Nukunonu, there is one border case, and there have been two recorded at the border on Whakao Tokelau Government General Manager Aukusitino Vitale says the index border case arrived on the Lady Samoa with more than 70 other people in Tokelau on Sunday, May 14. They stopped off at Atafu and Fakaofo. All passengers who disembarked on Nukunonu tested negative on day one. But on day three, a 48-year-old male tested positive. A week later, on Sunday, May twenty-one, the man's son tested positive, becoming the first community case in Tokelau. I spoke with Mr. Vitale, the government spokesperson, who was also on the voyage.
1: So it was a shock to the village. For us, who was uh, responding, um, no, it wasn't, because we knew it would, you know, eventually get to Tokelau. So um, yeah. So I, I, we prepared for that purpose. You know that it will arrive in Tokelau. We've been very encouraged by the results, which has been very overwhelming and satisfying for us. At the Tapulena meeting, there were, you know, a sense of fear uh, was still there. But I, I, I hope that what has transpired, the response has answered a lot of the questions. You know, the uncertainties about readiness of our response to safely guard Tokelau in the event that there is, you know, COVID. And of course, you recall that Atafu was the first to be successfully controlled at the borders. Now Nukunonu has had an experience with a community case, well, five community cases, sorry, four community cases. And fakofo has also had its first cases at the border. So I think it's, you know, everybody has had a taste now. And hopefully that would uh, bring about some better understanding of the new response based on what's happening in the world. And hopefully Tokelau will start easing of some restrictions but still keep the fundamental protection to protect Tokelau given that we have not had our five-year-olds below vaccinated.
4: And what is your message for Tokelau in this moment of uncertainty? The message would
1: be is to have courage. We have a, a very good, high percentage uh, immunity, herd immunity rate, which is really helping with the uh, the positive cases. Uh, it's just been flu symptoms. Uh, fever is, of course, the the, the the most difficult one. But apart from that, you know, people uh, are recovering, so that should give us some confidence in that we have a very good uh, herd immunity. Throughout Tokelau, because everybody is vaccinated apart from the five and under, as well as the those who refuse to get vaccinated. But then, of course, we have some who have left Tokelau since then. And council is uh, considering further review of the borders and for Tokelau to just to give their trust to the health. They've proven once on Atafu that they are capable... Of managing uh, positive cases and the situation in Whakaufa and Nukunonu is further evidence that the health team are ready to take on the challenge.
4: He says the restrictions in place mean Matete School on Nukunonu is closed, as well as all government offices. Essential services like the hospital, co-op store and finance are open with special arrangements in place to minimise people moving about in the village. People are allowed to feed their livestock between 7am and 9am. Mr Vitale says the five-day lockdown, which is only in place in Nukunonu, ends on Sunday 28 local time.
0: Rota Island in the northern Marianas is in recovery mode after Typhoon Mawar ripped through with wind speeds over 200 km an hour. Rota, which was the worst hit in the northern Marianas, had water restored at midday Friday, and the hospital has power again. Rota's mayor, Aubrey Hocott, speaks with Caleb Fotheringham.
2: We are currently in the recovery mode after Super Typhoon Mawar has hit Rota. Rhoda and our neighbouring island of Guam were the most affected, but yesterday, as of around 5pm, we had the cancellation of the typhoon watch from our governor, Arnold Palacios. And then last night, we had the all-clear signal from the state that that way we we were out of the typhoon uh, danger zone.
5: How bad is the damage?
2: So we are just very happy and blessed to report that there are no significant injuries or deaths to our residents here. Many of our trees have fallen, so much debris, have uh, just traveled around from the south to the northern parts of the island. We had some residents already indicating and reporting that they have damages to their home. Most of our government facilities, due to the mitigation with type shutters, there's no major damage to those facilities. To our public facilities is just, again, debris around the area. We had some power poles that were damaged, which, of course, immediately cut off our power supply to our residents. Yesterday, we just want to thank our hardworking team from the Power and the Water Utility Agency, and they were able to restore our water. Although we have a boil notice for our residents because we do not have access to transport some of the water samples for testing to see if it's safe for consumption, the power, I'm just happy to report, or maybe about 30 minutes ago, we are able to supply power to the hospital, which was, of course, our first priority. And then our team, our power division team will work their way to try to restore to the remaining villages on the island.
5: Do you have any numbers in terms of how many homes could be destroyed or how many government buildings have been damaged?
2: So government buildings, there's really no significant damage, just flooding around the facilities. In terms of the residential homes, I will be activating teams today at one o'clock to do an orientation briefing to follow guidelines based on the Homeland FEMA's individual assessments. So we're going to be uh, tapping into um, employees, personnel to assist with this assessment. They will be visiting residential homes beginning Sunday to really help identify any damages to the our residential homes. So I really don't have a number right now, but we have gotten phone calls having our people report that there were damages, their tin roof have flown off, some portions of their homes have been destroyed or damaged. Of course, we have farmers that have also reported that there are major significant damage to their field. So we are tracking these things and slowly we've been working with our federal partners to see how they can gauge in. But of course, one of our major priorities was to clear the airfield so that we can accept and welcome any supplies and equipment to help us with our debris removal as well as to bring in personnel from our neighbouring islands to work for the government agencies or federal partners to help us further assess so we can see what other resources can be available to assist our local community.
5: And just on supplies, are you expecting any supplies to come in soon?
2: Yes, immediately FEMA has already shared. We have intention to bring over uh, generators to help support our hospital and the command center and the shelters. We do still have people who are displaced as a result of the typhoon, and so we will house them until Red Cross is able to come in. They've already informed us that they will be sending over food and water. Water is the biggest issue because there's a boil notice advisory. So it's really the consumption of water that our people are mostly concerned about. Some of our local stores do not have generators, so they're not able to open. We do have a few, but it will not be enough to supply the island.
5: There were obviously no injuries or deaths, which is great news. And it's a little bit surprising from here, just considering how powerful Typhoon Mawa was. Do you have any reasons why you think that there were no injuries and deaths?
2: The first thing we can do is say that uh, we've just been very, very fortunate to not undergo any of that. Even to this moment that I'm speaking to you, the winds are still very, very strong. Even when we have the all clear, you can hear it and our personnel who are going out and trying to do their best to restore power. They're, we're still experiencing heavy rain and a strong gust of wind. So it really is an indication of how strong the Super typhoon was. But I think part of it, too, is the great preparation that we've had, really a great line of communication between the municipality of Rota and the state. You know, we, we've gone through so many. Typhoons, for example, like through again my experience working and coming back home that I've gone through was the uh Typhoon U two. So our people have somewhat already like learned and, and you know, prepared themselves and their families from that. After the typhoons, I'm I'm sure many of them have taken proper measures and steps to mitigate for future typhoons. And many of the homes here on Gota are built of concrete blocks. And so they've also probably taken additional safety measures in terms of typhoon shutters, securing their or building their properties and higher elevation levels. So I guess different factors play a role, but all we can do is prepare as best we can and just hope for the best.
0: The Pacific is awash with shipwrecks, many of them victims of World War II. Many of these vessels are oil tankers with holes full of oil, and as the ships get older, the environmental threat they pose gets bigger. One of the organisations that's trying to do something about this is the Australia-based group, the Major Projects Foundation. It knows where many of the shipwrecks are and is able to help governments and other agencies work to remove the oil. Director Paul Adams spoke with Don Wiseman, who began asking about the extent of the oil threat.
6: One of the uh, biggest issues, Don, is that nobody really knows uh, what oils left in these when they went down. Usually something sunk by a torpedo or bomb or something like that, it breaks in the middle or it has a hole in it. And it may, may open one or two fuel tanks, but uh, quite often there's you know a dozen or more, ten, whatever. Uh, fuel tanks still left full of oil and it sinks to the bottom and sits there. So right now we've got, I don't know, 3,000-odd 3, 3, ships in the Pacific from the World War 2 we, We've narrowed that down to about 60 wrecks, which we are almost 100% sure are, are going to be a serious problem if they go. And we are trying to find out how much oil is left in them and what sort of threat do they actually pose.
7: So 80, 80 years after the war, What is the level of risk at this point?
6: Well, every year that goes by, the level of risk gets higher and higher. Our studies have shown that the corrosion has basically whittled away these vessels, and they're down pretty fragile at the moment. What will happen is is a large ocean surge tries to uh, have an effect on the ship, say during a cyclone or something like that, tries to move the the vessel uh, even at depth. And sooner or later, I mean, that's been moving slightly over the last 80 years but sooner or later what will happen is the hull is so thin that when it tries to move the ship it'll break it open and release the oil pretty much.
7: And it's going to be the ships that are in the, the shallower the water the more danger. They're in.
6: Exactly it, it really comes there's a whole range of issues what, what we call category one wrecks and, and we have about 60 of those. There's in Australian-New Zealand waters, and then the balance of those are around Micronesia, Solomons, New Guinea, and Marshall Islands.
7: Okay. So what work is going into trying to get rid of this oil?
6: Well, before we can get rid of the oil, we need to know how much oil is there, what risk does it pose, and, and basically uh, our plan is to make a risk register of all of the vessels out there so that large amounts of funding can be put into it and they are, they will have a data set to work off, basically a 3D model of each ship, location of uh, all the fuel tanks on, on that model based on original drawings, thickness of the hull, water samples, current samples, projections as to where the oil might end up if it leaks out of every particular ship. So we need that information in order for anyone to, to even try and tackle the issue.
7: And that's the focus and, for your And that's
6: the focus at the moment, is, is the research. Visit each of these 60 wrecks and uh, document each one and, and take all those measurements and the readings and make the assessments. And then from that, construct a risk register, which will then say which ship should be tackled first, here's why, and basically here's a recipe how it should be done and, and the reasons why. So um, any anyone that's makes that decision to start to remove that oil, or start a program to remove it, we'll have some sound information to work off.
7: I presume the oil is of no use. Look,
6: it's random. Most of it is you know, heavy bunker fuel. So some oil has been taken out of various ships and samples, and some is a very waste oil that's highly contaminated, and some can be recycled. So it's really a case-by-case basis.
7: Not all oil, I guess, is going to pose the same level of threat to the ocean, is it? Some of it is just going to dissipate and not cause too much of a problem. Is that right?
6: Yeah, pretty much. The, the thing of the, uh, the oil, like diesel, for example... Probably, you know, it's, yes, it's a nuisance and it colours the water, but it's probably not going to be that huge a problem. Pretty much every ship that we are looking at from World War II is heavy bunker fuel and, and that will pose a problem and that's why they're on our list.
7: Yes, yeah, so 60 ships, where's your main focus?
6: Look, at the moment we're doing some work in Chuuk Lagoon in Micronesia uh, because we got a bit of funding from the Australian government to, to have a look at that. We're also looking shortly into uh, shipwrecks in Marshall Islands. So they're the first two areas that we're, we're getting our teeth into, so to speak. And basically funding holds back the project to whatever extent. We don't have funding yet to do look at anything in New Guinea or Solomon Islands. Palau's the same, there's one shipwreck there. We, we have some funding... For Micronesia FSM, and we have a bit more funding potentially for Marshall Islands.
0: American Idol winner Am Tongi is causing a buzz of excitement in the Pacific. The 18-year-old won the competition earlier this week, becoming the first Pacifica singer to do so since the series was first launched in 2002. Now, Funua spoke with the Hawaiian-born singer of Tongan and Samoan heritage, whose soulful singing and touching personal journey captivated American audiences and won him fans all around the world. What was it like winning American Idol? Uh,
3: it was a, uh, it was crazy, man. So when I was there, I was just getting ready for whatever happened, and uh, I was, I was, I would have been happy if uh, Megan won too. You know what I mean? Or, or calling one as well, and you know I just love those guys, and uh, yeah, when they said my name, I was just super excited, and I couldn't really really show it because right when I they said my name, I was excited, then I grabbed the mic and I had to sing a song, and I was just it was really cool. So yeah,
8: could you describe that bond you developed with the other competitors? Was it difficult when you had the others drop out? Was there a friend yeah
3: because. To- yeah, you Know we're in this thing for like almost a year, right? So we grow close together because we've been together for so long. And, um, yeah, of course, it was really hard to say goodbye to a lot of the people. And, um, you know, one of the hardest person it was, it was hard for me to say bye to at the time was uh Matt Wilson, one of my buddies. Yeah, because I knew that you know, Oliver too was it, well, it was sad to see him go, but I knew he was going to come back for the finale. So uh I wasn't really too worried about that. But um yeah. It was hard to say goodbye to everyone.
8: So this is the beginning of uh your career now. Yeah man, um, yeah. Could you um so what's the next step? You already working on the album or
3: I'm trying to I'm uh, I'm working on uh working on more music, right? And I'm trying to do some shows or you know, um I can't really talk get into detail about it, but uh I'm trying to work on music. And I'm trying to uh, get out to shows and play live uh, live events because I love I love performing live. It's just you know that's one of my passions about uh, music is is performing live.
8: Um, so the genre of your music, what style of music are you, are you playing?
3: Um, so um, me personally, I love all kind of music. Right, so I, I like reggae, island music, uh, country music, all types. But I'm trying to lean towards more towards um uh songwriter and uh singer songwriter and uh a more like a jack johnson kind of vibe right and uh it'll be cool to dabble a little bit in uh you know a little bit of reggae and a little bit of country in it and uh but mostly just focus on singer-songwriter and uh you know maybe one day uh, uh for sure one day I, I'm, I'm working on uh you know releasing a polynesian album right just of singing a polynesian song like Tongan, Samoan songs and uh, Fijian songs. It'll be cool to uh, record those in the studios and uh, release an album. Uh, yeah.
8: You know, over the last few months, people have been claiming to be your cousins all over Tonga, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> claiming to be related to you and debate about your heritage. Could could you clear that up now? Like, what what is your family background? Um, where oh, you came yeah. from?
3: So my mom is uh, her name is, uh, her maiden name is Three Four, and. Uh, my mom is Liliana three, four, And, um, my family, my, my grand, my mom's uh, mom, my grandma is from Kansas, uh, over here in, uh, the States. And my grandma's, my grandma's maiden name is McCormick. And, uh, until she married my grandpa and my grandpa's three, four. And, you know, it goes back and, uh, you know, I don't really want to get into the, but uh, yeah, I'm a two, Um, and also my dad, um, my dad is half Tongan, half Samoan. And, uh, yeah, Luofutu Asuao. Asuao. That's my grandma's side. And uh, also I'm related to uh, uh, some of the Tosungas, Uh Towsungas and, uh, you know, I have, I'm related to, uh, yeah, I have, I have a big family, right? So maybe if they're claiming to be my uh, relatives, maybe they are, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. I have my Tongi side and uh, my uh, Mau side. Then I got my McCormick side, and my Fu side, and it's just a really big family.
8: Have you been to Tonga? Would you like to go? Um, there?
3: I haven't been there, but yeah, I'm planning. I'm planning on going one day. Um, I don't know when, but hopefully, hopefully one day I'm gonna go go back to Tonga or go and to New- Tonga
8: and New Zealand as well, and I suppose the other Pacific islands as yeah, well.
3: Yeah, yeah, for sure, as uh, Samoa. You know, New Zealand. I have a lot of family in New Zealand, and uh, and also in Australia, and yeah, a,
8: a lot of people are proud of you. A lot of Pacifica going on online, and um, what's it like to get that outpouring of support? Um,
3: you know, uh, to get all the support from the people is just is just uh, it really shows how how what our community is about, right? What our people's about, right? Um, you know, no matter who you are, like we kind of claim, that's our cousin, right? yeah because because we're proud that's we're really proud of of what happens over here like to our little small a little small um section of the world us, us polynesians us islanders um uh, we're really proud of uh whoever makes it right like you know when dinah jane was over there we were like oh yeah that's my cousin they' do you know everyone's like yo that's dinah jane and you know the rock you know everyone's like oh <laughs> my cousin. you know what i mean that's that's how it is you know what i mean uh over here in our, in, our, uh, in our community, because everyone's just really proud of, of each other, and that's what I love about our community.
0: That's specific waves for today. To listen back, head over to slash programs. You can also download us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Tomas, for your to come, and look at me next time more.